Uh, I was speaking with Lucy, um, Rob's wife, uh, this morning, and um, she, she does a little bit of commuting in the car from time to time. She said she's been listening to a uh, sermon. So, hi, Lucy, as you're listening. <laughs> Don't crash. Uh, <laughs> um, and she was saying how she's been enjoying Isaiah. But it, she said it's, it's, uh, it was amazing how hard work the start of Isaiah is. Lots of woes and uh, it's apparent judgment. And I have to say that uh, there are kind of certain chapters that you kind of get to and go, ah, hurrah, one of those wonderful ones. And so that's uh, Isaiah 55. Uh, you know, sometimes, uh, I don't know if you've noticed that if you get 10 bits of encouragement and one criticism, what's the one you remember and dwell on? Criticism. It's not to say the criticism isn't uh, important, but so often, a bit like that in Scripture, we can, we can read page after page of page of the goodness of God, go, yeah, yeah, we know about the goodness of God, and then we get to one of those challenging bits, and we go, oh, it's so difficult, and it throws everything else out of the window. Not to say that we don't deal with the difficult, but actually passages, chapters like 55, chapter 53, and others, I see as really foundational that put into context and help us orientate the other difficult passengers in who God is. We have had many chapters of apparent judgment, of declarations, of, of woe. But it always comes from the heart of the Father who loves. So I pray that we would hear something more of the goodness of God in chapter 55. So I'm going to read for us. I hope it blesses you. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the people. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you. Because of the, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteousness their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God. For he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but 
will accomplish what I desire and achieve, the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands instead of the thorn brush will grow the juniper and instead of briars the myrtle will grow this will be for the lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever isn't that great to read really really is let's pray together Thank you for the revelation of Scripture. Your words are the words of eternal life. Thank you for the implicit and explicit promise that as Isaiah declared, your word achieves what you sent it to do. And I pray that your word would be declared as I speak and it would achieve powerfully your plans and purposes. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Isaiah 55 speaks so wonderfully of the nature and consistent character of our God. Not that the others don't. But this is like the the curtains are, are, are pulled back and the light floods through. It's amazing to speak of the abundant generosity of God. From every so often, every other week, uh, some of us from the church go out in the Connect team, uh, which is a group, uh, one of our groups in the church. We, We go out, there's a bunch of us, and we go out into Camden, usually onto the street on Thursday morning, and we try and find ways to connect with people in our community who wouldn't normally necessarily come in here. I think people don't mind us. We've not yet heard that we're annoying uh, or that we've be, we're kind of a bit unwelcome. Uh, that we, we do all sorts of things. Sometimes we ask questions. Sometimes, like oh, two weeks ago, we offered a free shoe shine. It was Monday, Thursday. Uh, so we offered to shine people's shoes. Amazing how many people don't wear proper shoes anymore. Uh, it's trainers and all that. But uh, we also were giving out um, Easter eggs. We've given away uh, burritos, uh, home-cooked, long oak-smoked pork, made by a chef, one of our younger uh, adults who at the time worked for Claridge's. He was there for the weekend, and he he spent two days slow-roasting this smoked pork in the wood burner. I'm making you really hungry now, aren't I? And he made these amazing burritos, and we were serving them out on the street. Uh, Sometimes we've been out, and we've given away Easter eggs. Sometimes we've given away flowers. Sometimes we've even given away donuts, Donuts are less popular, all these health-conscious people, I've decided. But it's amazing. Some people receive them, uh, sometimes with a puzzled look, but quite often the most common response is, what's the catch? How much is it? What are you collecting for? Oh, I have no small change. We go, we don't want any. This is a gift. And sometimes people uh, sort of scowl at us, a few of them, and walk past muttering something like, nothing is for free. 
And it catches me every time. Because it just reminds me to say how far people have forgotten the gospel. Good news. It is pretty much true in life that we don't get anything for free. We're taught the great work ethic. From time to time when I visit America, it's so much more pronounced. Um, You know, if you want to have a blessed life, you work hard for it. There's a real sort of reluctance uh, to to sort of trust in things like social security or or, or the the state's safety net. Of course, we're told, and this isn't uh, a sermon about idleness and uh, and just a, a kind of free giveaway in, in every sense. But you know, my, we've got students who are working really hard at the moment. I, I'm sure many parents amongst us would uh, chase me out of the town if I said, "Well, you know, you don't have to work for these exams. Just sit back; they'll just give them to you." Even though they are now giving unconditional places to university, it seems willy-nilly, and you don't have to gain the grades now, it seems. We earn things because we work at them. We receive something because we merit it. But the heartbeat of the gospel is contrary. The gospel really is the lavish generosity of God. Of course, there's a cost, and and the table is before us, but it's a cost we cannot and should not seek to bear. The lavishness and generosity of God expressed in these wonderful 13 verses of chapter 55. I've taken it, uh, this blows my cover now, I've taken it uh, upon myself from time to time. When, when we have worship gatherings, whether it's the hungry prayer meeting or uh, that we sometimes in, in open prayer and opportunity in church, we sometimes say, uh, would people like to pray and, and name the characteristics and the names of God? And people talk about Savior and Lord and Shepherd and, and all these are right and true and, and that God is good and loving uh, and that he's almighty and that he's the provider uh, and all those things. And, and all those things I affirm and underline and highlight and say amen to. But I, I realized uh, some while ago in my own kind of thinking and, and understanding of God that there's so often one of the key characteristics, the natures, the traits of God that we rarely speak of. And I'm not about to say he's the judge and the, you know, all that. He's the generous one. He's the giver. How can I say that? He gave us his son. He gives us his spirit. He gives life to all people. He brings blessing upon the wicked and the good. The rain on the mountains that we know not much of. He cares for the sparrow. He is the generous one. The lavish generosity of God. Come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk. I think that's because there's children and adults. 
as a joke, um, without money and without cost. Doesn't that strike you as abundantly generous? The lavish generosity of God. You see, this chapter calls us to come and live in the good that the Messiah has won for us. Come, eat for free. Don't wear yourself out on earning what you can't buy in the first place. Don't expend yourself serving idols, bringing the kind of things that would say, oh, have, have mercy upon me, turn to me, have, uh, kind of see me and, and all my good deeds and reward me accordingly with an answer to prayer or uh, a, a, a blessing in life or, or a peace and security because I have devoted myself. I've, I've proved my love to you The gospel is entirely the other way around. The lavish grace of God, extended and doled out to everyone. Come, eat for free. It's the basis of the new commandment that even here in Isaiah, the prophet, in verse um, Three, give ear to me and listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. This is in Old Testament language talking about the covenants that are made, the Davidic covenant to Samuel chapter 7. Today I have God says, I've become your father. Today you'll be my son, the king of Israel, the king who is to represent God in the nation of Israel in Jerusalem, who should stand for the things of God and, and lead in the ways of God. And it Kind of started off well, but quickly unraveled. But Isaiah, here in what becomes called the messianic kind of hope, says that actually the line of David isn't going to crash and burn, but God will raise up from the stump a covenant of everlasting joy and love in the line of David to all peoples, for all peoples. And the New Testament writers, Paul, in, uh, in Luke's account of Paul in chapter 13, verse 34, again and again speak and rely and declare this new covenant. Even in the table that is spread, this is the, the covenant, the new covenant established through my blood, says Jesus, the Messiah, the King of Kings. Come. Come and feast. Come. Come. I think one of the things about the gospel that we sometimes cross over, uh, we, we don't quite get, is actually how abundantly, lavishly generous God is. I know when we put the focus on ourselves, we kind of think maybe we've just scraped in. Maybe you kind of recognize that there, but for the grace of God. For the grace of God welcomes us to the table. For the grace of God in Jesus, he bore all of our sin, taking it to death and rising again. It's the scandal of grace, but it's the power of God. From time to time, I come come across people when I'm talking about faith or out on the street or, or people who say, God can't forgive me. 
He won't forgive me. I've gone too far. If you knew what I've done, said, how I've behaved, what I have done. And you'd say, no, he can't forgive. And again and again, I have to say, you haven't understood the lavishness of the grace and generosity of God. I mean, Paul, who was Saul, spoke of himself as the worst of sinners. We like to be competitive and we think, well, who was Paul anyway? But he understood the lavish generosity of God. Even here, it's not in the text, but the, the history tells us about the context to which Isaiah was speaking. Uh, you know that the kings have fallen, the kings have messed up, the kings uh, are getting progressively shorter reign because God is judging them and, and they are leading the people in error. And so at the time uh, that this, this chapter was probably first spoken in the time of uh, Isaiah, there was one of the kings of, uh, of Israel was called uh, Manasseh. And he was uh, one of those wickedest kings of Judah. He was meant to be the reflection of what God was like, but he was the polar opposite. So what did Manasseh do as a king of, uh, of, of, uh, of Judah, of the southern kingdom, uh, reigning in Jerusalem? Did he promote the word of God, the worship of the one true living God? No. The, per, the one person who was meant to safeguard this actually had an aggressive policy of paganizing Judah. In other words, saying to people, don't worship that God of our ancestors, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Turn and worship the gods of our surrounding peoples. He ignored Isaiah the prophet's warning and filled the temple, that very place where they were to encounter the presence of God. Instead, filled the courtyards with idols. He turned the valley outside Jerusalem into a shrine to Molech and is reputed to have sacrificed at least two of his own sons to the demon god there and encouraged the people to come and do the same, come and join in. Manasseh promoted witchcraft and divination throughout his realm. If you want to check out whether that's good or bad, have a read of Deuteronomy. Uh, I'll short, uh, you know, I'll save you the effort if you want to. It's kind of God condemns it, so this is abhorrent, don't do it. But Manasseh promotes it. And even when the people protested and said, Manasseh, you've gone a little bit far here, he then launched a violent wave of persecution against those true to God, Yahweh, in Jerusalem. According to Jewish tradition, he ordered his men to execute Isaiah, this prophet, by getting him and sawing him in two. And it wasn't one of those magic tricks where they put him back together again. It's no wonder that the Lord named Manasseh as the person chiefly responsible for the destruction of Jerusalem. Why am I giving this history lesson? Because I want to pose the question that's so often posed to us in our modern context. Could this evil king Manasseh have been forgiven if he turned and repented. What do you think?
I agree. Good job, isn't it? (laughs) Because here's what happened. The Lord brought the king of Assyria back to the gates of Jerusalem and captured Manasseh. He put him in chains. Sorry, this is slightly graphic. Uh, The king of Assyria put a hook through Manasseh's nose and led him off by the nose, by the snout, to, um, to a foreign land. The Bible records that when finally stripped naked of his own strength, Manasseh finally believed the promise of God in chapter 40 of Isaiah. He cried out to the Lord to forgive him and to clothe him with divine power. His prayer was answered and he experienced his own personal return from Babylon, Babylonian captivity. And he became an example of God's outrageous grace. Completely undeserved. God has outrageous grace to us. This may be uh, teaching you to suck eggs, I hope not, but a reminder as we come to to this table that our salvation depends on grasping, of taking hold, of clinging on to, of of standing firm, of being resolute in the truth that God has rescued us. Uh, see that he has done everything to save us, not just a little, but fully and completely. It is finished, spoke Jesus. Once and for all. And here's where it gets personal. This isn't just object lesson like a piece of fine art to be gazed at in a gallery. The invitation is personal. Come if you are thirsty. Come if you are hungry. It's not like sit back, oh yes, fine, nice, well said. That the extravagant, lavish grace of God extends to say, are you thirsty and hungry and powerless and poverty-stricken and desperate and saying, where can I go? Everything else has become uh, worthless. Everything else does not satisfy. And the invitation, the initiative, the grace of God says, come all of you. Any one of you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Not just a small little cup on the side and have a little sip. Come to the waters, the abundant waters. Those who've got no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk. Not just, you know, just take a little piece here. Have a little sip and, you know, we're very British, aren't we? I noticed it myself. We were giving away Easter eggs on the street, and we had uh, Easter egg hunts. And they were uh, they kind of like the golden prize was the big egg, the golden foil wrapped egg. And there were about fifteen little eggs in the basket, and this one big egg. And uh, we were giving them out, and everyone come past and look at the golden egg, the big egg, the double, triple sized egg. And think, oh, I'd like that, but oh, I don't deserve it. And they took the little egg. And then this one lady said, would you like an extra egg? Oh, yes. And she just reached out, grabbed the massive one, said, thanks. And off she trotted. <laughs> I was like, she didn't deserve that. She didn't have a conversation with us. That was our reward for someone being really nice to us. Have this great egg. She got it. In our Britishness, sometimes we... We just nibble on the edges. 
but I love the abundant generosity, the scandalous kindness. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest of affairs. Come. Come. I love in verse 7, it says, Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. One commentator says that the translation there about he will freely pardon could also be kind of sensed and captured by saying the abundant lavishness of forgiveness. Have you blown it? Come back to him. Are you walking well with him? Come and drink afresh. It's about his glory. But there's more than that. There's more than receiving. There's something about uh, the the fact that uh, when we grasp it, when we live in the fullness of this invitation, in the abundant generosity and lavishness of God, if we grasp it, we begin to display it. Verse Uh, Five, surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations who do not know will come running to you. Why? Because we're eating and living in the abundant, lavish generosity of God. Yes, we are in that because he lavishes upon it, but this kind of continual perpetual awareness of this recognition of how good he is, of how full his gospel is. It's like having a huge billboard by saying, those of us who know, live it. Rejoice. And it's like this great hoarding on the side of a building or the side of the road or a big neon square like Piccadilly or Times Square. Flashing brightly the splendor of God evidenced in our lives to demonstrate to the others who are scrimping and, and, and giving their all to try and find a smidgen of peace. And say, we've abundantly received. They go, why? What have you done to deserve it? Absolutely nothing. But look how great he is. I was reflecting on it and thinking, um, it doesn't kind of work in Camden. I was thinking of a a shop, but um, not the country gentleman, whatever it's called down there. Doesn't have it. But you imagine if you were in the town, city, and there was a really smart um, uh, department store. I know most of them are shutting, so again, it doesn't always work like this. But imagine there was this wonderful place, and, and gentlemen, men could get like smart suits or really top-of-the-range clothes. Uh, it's not, I'm not talking Primark, I'm talking Savile Row. And, and the ladies there have got, you know, the women have got to be able to, and this is where I get on thin ice again because I'm thinking what might be appropriate. You get your favorite, best, most wonderful design outfit. It's tip top, top of the range, fits wonderfully, kind of tailored bespoke. And you got it for free and you're wearing it and you, and you went out onto the street and you're kind of like head held high and 12 foot tall because you just look resplendent. And you've not had to buy it. Someone's given it to you. You've gone in and said, you've had free range. Take your pick. And you have, as long as you want to take the most beautiful garments. And you pop out onto the street. 
And people are admiring, going, look, at that's amazing. Where did you get them? They say, oh, it's just down there. Why didn't you go? It's all provided for. Let's go in. Do you think people would go? Do you think people would kind of say, oh, I think they probably would. I think they, they, people would think that's too good to be true. They might be cynical, skeptical, but they might begin to check out. They might begin to see how good we look and think their invitation, their offer is there too. Of course, there'll be some who'll pass by and think it's a scam or charade or some catch, but I think most people would know this is well, well worth it. It's almost like that picture here of the abundant generosity of God that we are called, the people of God, to come and feast and be enriched and live in the abundant goodness of God that we have not earned or merited or bought or, or scrimped and saved or just crawled across the line or slipped in before the barrier shuts, but welcomed under the invitation of God. That splendor of God in our lives that others should come running. I know for us, for me, it sounds like a bit pie in the sky. But the example of Jesus and the, and the example of the New Testament seem to say that as we hang around Jesus, we become like him, as, as he rubs off on us, as, as we imbibe his presence, as we, as we learn the ways of grace that those people most hungry and desperate and needing of this, of of eager for this, see that and turn to him. It seemed to be the sinners were flocking, didn't it? And the hungry were coming close, and and it almost became a nuisance for Jesus. He kept getting interrupted and tired, and he was trying to go places secretly, and, uh, and they didn't have mobile phones, and they kept ending up finding out where he was and being there. Because they were so hungry for this. That when the the Lord is there, when his people characterize this, people come to Jesus. In the New Testament, with the apostles, it seemed to be, yes, they were harassed and and it was countercultural and people got upset by it, those in power. But it seemed to be wherever they were, people were attracted to Jesus. Lord, have your way in us. When I first became a Christian in 1991, we sang a chorus in the Christian Union of Newcastle. Um, It was one of those old jolly choruses. It was all new and all slightly mysterious to me. And one of these choruses from the good old 80s, when, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. And the, and the good Christians in the CU were all clapping that. And I was like, what madness is this? What weird thing have I started to become involved with? And the mountains of the hills, uh, you know, cla- and I was like, what? And then they said, it was in the Bible. All oh, right, that makes it fine then. 55 verse 12. You go out in joy. And be led forth in peace. And the mountains of the hill will burst into song before you. And all of the trees of the field will clap their hands. As a scientist, I was like, trees don't have hands. And all those on good artistic Bachelor of Arts courses. And it's, you know, 
It doesn't have to be literal. I mean, it could be image and song, you know. I guess what the Isaiah is driving at is joy. Not just joy in eternity, but joy in the stuff of life. Joy of the redeemed. Most weeks I, I meet with a bunch of uh, ministers and we pray. And one of the people that gathers with us is involved in, in the, as a debt counselor with CAP. And we pray for him and some of the clients that he's meeting. And you know, consistently, those who are in debt, those who are under kind of stress of life, those who are under pressure and stressed are very rarely joyful. But those, but those who are living in freedom tend towards joy. I think one of a unique characteristics in this day and age, maybe in every age, is, is to avoid the cynicism and come out with a little bit more joy. To dial down the skepticism and live a bit more with a smile. Not trite. I heard... Um, where was it that, uh, I think it was Walmart, and that was it, in Walmart in Germany. Uh, Walmart, the American company that owned Asda, they, uh, they, they do that whole thing in America and Britain of, of uh, how can I help you in smiling and have a nice day? And apparently they, they opened stores in Germany and uh, all the Germans thought they were just flirting with them. So they didn't understand that kind of cultural greeting of niceness and warmness. They thought, something sinister going on here. We've got to be cultural. We, we are living in Middle England. Archer's land and all that. Um, but I do think in this age of stress and tension, of political uncertainty and all that, some simple joy, an awareness of freedom of life, living, showing. And finally, just first six and seven, and we're coming to the table right now. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy, and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon or abundantly lavish his forgiveness. Don't delay. One lady I talked to after our gospel concert the other week said to me, I, I think I'll come on an Alpha course sometime. She's in her 80s. I'll come on one sometime. What about this one? Oh, I'll, I'll think about it. Plenty of time. And there may be. But there may not be. Seek the Lord while he may be found. We are a funny people, aren't we? 
There's suits and there's clothes and there's just a feast being laid out. It's down the street. All you have to do is rock up and say, can I come in? Because the invitation cards have gone out. Come. Oh, well, I've just got a little bit of things to do. I've got a bit of time. I'm just going to go off there. But it's really the best. You don't want to miss out. Or maybe a bit later, other things seem more pressing. Now is today the day of salvation. In the favor of our God. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Sister, brother, he is here and near and lavish in grace and abundant in forgiveness to bind you up, to lift you up, to forgive you, to restore you, to assure you of peace and fullness of life, to walk with you, to satisfy deep down where nothing else will to make your life complete, to bring you into the purposes and fullness of God, which won't necessarily kind of be like uh, what the world would say the goal of life is. But to know your creator and friend afresh, to walk with him in his ways, in the ways of Jesus. Come. All who are thirsty, come. Buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Come. Let's pray.